Welcome to the Kupinger Coal Analyst Chat. I'm your host. My name is Matthias Reinhardt. I'm an analyst and advisor at Kupinger Coal Analysts. And in each edition of this podcast, I have one guest joining me, a fellow analyst or another interesting partner. And today it is the founder and principal analyst of Kupinger Coal, Martin Kupinger. Hi, Martin. Hi, Matthias. And welcome to everyone listening to this podcast. Great to have you. And we will focus for 15 minutes or so on one important topic for many people currently working from home and just getting used to using technology they have never been uh, in contact with. We're talking about video conferencing and more specifically about video conference security. There have been lots of talk and news about uh, the dangers of these uh, software systems and how to protect them adequately. I love the term Zoom bombing, like photo bombing, but with video conferences so that you just join a video conference that you're not supposed to join um, because it is not well protected. I think we should talk about a bit how to secure your video conferences in a manner that it is really adequate for a corporate environment, for a business environment, for communication, also in highly sensitive environments. What would be your first initial suggestions where to start when it comes to securing these systems? So where to start? I would say the first thing is don't um, leave your users alone. I think that is the easiest thing to do. Give them advice. So I think it's important that, that we have in, in work from home scenarios, um, but also when you look at homeschooling and all the things we have to do these days, it is highly important that we build on the flexibility, on the good human sense, on the um, innovativeness of the users, of the employees, of the teachers, of the students, etc. However, why not giving them some good advice at the beginning, which tools to use, how to use it, some guidance, very focused, not going over the top, not making it more complex than it needs to be. So think about saying, these are the one or two tools you can use if you don't have a standard tool in your organization anyway. This is the way to use it and put this with a little bit of screenshots on two pages or so. And that already, I think, is maybe the most important thing. What then should be on that? So what is the security device? That would be a different question. But first, give advice and maybe also hint them to some of the better advices carefully reviewed. Um, you find in the internet, there are some good links from many vendors these days, which say, okay, configure it that way or that way or that way, but provide advice. So don't uh, leave your users standing in the rain. Exactly. And I think um, when it comes to this individual advice, there's really some best practices that have been established over the last ye weeks. And for those who use this software, um, most probably for a longer time, which is best practice in, in organizations anyway. So I think one one really important feature, and we just used it for, for this recording right now, is this waiting room feature so that you cannot join a meeting without being really let into the meeting by the organizer. So that there is some kind of virtual waiting room where you have to remain until you are really admitted to this um, system. And so nobody can just do this Zoom bombing anymore by just guessing the meeting ID and joining without maybe even noticed. I think that is a real good starting point. Real, use the waiting room feature. Yeah, that's, I would say, a very common way to do it. So ensure that 
um, you control who can come in. That starts with the invite, with the meeting ID, which might be one you choose and that reuse meeting IDs, um, control the access, um, control what um, people are allowed to do in a room. And all of these tools have some level of settings. So if you look at these tools, if you start using these tools, you always at some area will find some settings. So the audio settings, the video settings, the settings for the, the chats, etc. All of these tools have it. And I think it's very important to review them. So um, both the people in the IT giving advice on how to use the tools should review and revisit all these settings carefully and look at which settings can we use, but also the ones who are using it actively, for instance, for inviting some colleagues, some business partners, or as a teacher, the students, look at it in detail and think about what could we do to improve security, which also might include, for instance, passwords. And yes, it's always a good idea to have a password that is a little bit better than one, two, three, four, five, six. Exactly. And, and I think um, as in these invites, often the password is actually transmitted as part of a URL to join such a call. Um, in, in the first place, you really should choose a good password for any individual joining. And you just should not share the URL um, more globally than you really need to. So if you just invite two people, just send them the invite and make sure that only they can um, join and ideally with individualized good passwords as a starting point. And you can, for instance, share the meeting ID, which is not that super complex uh, to type in, and the password in two separate messages, ideally two messages on separate channels, that it's somewhat more complex but saying, okay, this is the meeting ID and this is the password. That is important and try not to share a password as part of an URL at all. So yes, it's a little bit more inconvenient to enter a password, but there's also um, a far more security when people need to enter a password they have received um, in an out of band channel. So try to do it that way, but the more sensitive it is apparently that they need to enter that. And Matthias already talked about the waiting room. Also then have a look at who enters finally. So who are the people that come in? And in virtually all scenarios, um, we know the people. So if you not just do a webinar where we push out a message to many people which are relatively anonymous to us, which are not active in this session, and where we just want to share and spread the message, in all the other scenarios, have a look at the attendee list. Uh, are these the people you want to have in? And if not, throw them out again. Exactly. I think taking the role of the host of such a call really serious, that means really controlling access, but also sh uh, understanding who is actually there and who should not be there and to really just eject them from there. Um, that is really an, an important role. It needs to be well understood. And it's really a kind of, of a risk assessment, actually, that has to be executed for each call. How sensitive is the information that you're processing here? Um, should I add another layer of security, as you said, and transmit the password out of band via another channel? That, that might be something um, not necessary for each and every call, but there will be many calls that deserve this type of measures. And I think that is really of importance. 
Yeah, and I think that's that's the point. You know, when you're dealing with sensitive corporate information, when you're dealing with uh, stuff which is in some way more privacy sensitive, so take a take a classroom, then then you have some restrictions, etc. Then really be careful, and better add an extra level of security. Right. One, one topic that is actually, if you look at best practices, is not really clear from, from each perspective is whether or not you should use a video in such a call. Um, some recommend just to switch it off for bandwidth purposes and for privacy purposes and for security, maybe. Um, but on the other hand, we as analysts who have been using um, video conferencing for years now, we really recommend using um, video for, for different purposes. What is your idea here? Yeah, so I'm, I'm overall, I'm a believer, but I'm driven more from an advisory perspective um, or from a, so to speak, pre-sales perspective in the calls I have very frequently or I, I'm, when I'm with my, my peers. Um, I feel that video usually is a very good thing to have in that type of calls because it allows you to see the other uh, person so you get the mimic you get the the reaction of the others in the video so i'm a big friend of using video and so i i wouldn't go with turn off video necessarily i think it clearly depends a little on what you're trying to do in a meeting but when i talk with my colleagues uh, video always is better when i talk with uh, potential customers video is always better and it, it's by the way these days more or less the norm um, when, when I do advisory, um, it's clearly a mix of video and using tools such as Microsoft Whiteboard and presenting some stuff and other things. Uh, but again, their video is in many parts of such conversations a very important and essential element. So we must not go over the top. And the most important thing at the end of the day is anyway, give some good advice and then also trust on the good human sense of people to run this stuff right. Help them to get into this new, for many new style of, of, of working. Give them only hints when things are really critical and hints that could be, okay, there's a bug in that tool for a while, we better go to another tool or check whether it's patched, whether you had the newest release, things like that. Give them advice, use the waiting room, which really makes sense, stuff like that. But don't go over the top. Yeah, I think so. And I think that, again, is a, a risk assessment. If, if, if it is not necessary for a single call, so then just don't go over the top. I think one aspect that we should consider um, is the recording of meetings because um, once you are the, the host and you run the meeting, um, you have direct control when you execute it well. Um, who is in the call, who can contribute, who can speak, who can share. Um, once the meeting is over and there's a recording available, this is a completely different game because the, the recording has, has a life of its own. It can be shared. And I think that is really then, again, a sensitive document. It's not longer the call, but it's really the same sensitive information. I think that should be also included in the training, how to deal with that. I think recordings um, generally should be treated very, very careful uh, because just from a legal perspective, you need to inform, oh, we're doing a recording. Um, and you need to then treat it correctly according to GDPR and other regulations. So I, I, I would say, be careful with recordings. Only record when it's really, really required. So honestly, aside of the webinar recordings we are doing at Cooping or Coal, 
when when we really record a webinar to have a podcast available for the standard meetings i virtually never ever do recordings so even for for briefings when a vendor briefs me about news i very rarely do a recording um, because if you have a recording so theoretically it could be a forensic approach i've never came across a scenario where i needed it and then the other side might be reluctant to say, okay, I agree with you recording that in such scenarios, so forget about that part. And then the other thing is, then you have recordings. What do you do with the recordings? Unless they are meant like a webinar recording for a, for a webcast afterwards. Will you really listen again to that recording? How many people really do that? So I know so many scenarios where, where we have endless lists of videos and to review and then you feel okay i spent 60 minutes in the call shall i spend another 60 minutes for listening to the recording so you rarely need it and if you need it be super super conscious about what it means with respect to informing the attendees with respect to regulations yeah exactly i, I fully agree i think um, this this these recordings actually they are just garbage on your hard disk and um, once you you pile up these files and lots and lots of more recordings you you are in danger of treating them wrong afterwards so so to, not to to dispose them correctly to delete them to to have them on, on an archive on a backup disk um, so really make sure just don't record it every information that you can avoid um, is really good information and then the the thing which I would bring up more again is, and we quickly touched it, be a little bit careful regarding the tools. So if there are security alerts, uh, take these security alerts earnest. So look at these security alerts, think about, uh, do they impact me? Do I need to do something? And that is um, something where, again, the good human sense of the users is important. So if they read something, if they learn something, better ask the admin. And it's, super important specifically for all the IT admins. Have a look at the tools in use. And again, this is part of the guidance. And then the risks are, are really limited. And very clearly also, again, good human sense. If you start, for instance, sharing sensitive content within a meeting, so you have a business meeting, you share sensitive documents, financial numbers, which are not yet published or stuff like that. Better have a look again at the attendee list first. So are really only the people in the call and then you are pretty safe. And don't forget to, to also find a, a fair assessment of, of risk and opportunity. Um, using these tools is a huge opportunity for continuing to work efficiently. And yes, there's always some risk, but we will never have a 100% security. So we need to understand the risk. We need to mitigate it. Uh, we need to bring in our good human sense. And then we should continue using these technologies. Well, that was actually a perfect summary for today's call. Um, yeah, thank you very much, Martin, for joining me today for this topic. And I think it's really of importance and it's really actionable advice that people can really use in their everyday life. And if you just take away one thing, use this um, waiting room feature then this podcast was worth listening to. Thank you all for your time. Thank you, Martin, for joining me. Thank you.